And uh, so what we've talked about so far is uh, in a church culture, you hear the word discipleship thrown around. And that word can mean a whole lot of things depending on how it's defined, but oftentimes what has happened in a church culture is discipleship is thrown out and it loses all of its meaning because it's just one of those church words. And so in a lot of churches, the way we refer to discipleship is we say we have classes or we have a discipleship program or we have discipleship this or discipleship that. And what we mean is there's some element of teaching where you can come and be taught. And I hope you hear, you're hearing me each week saying that is a form of discipleship. Absolutely. When I get up and I'm preaching to you or anyone's up here preaching to you, if you're learning and you're growing and following Jesus, that is a form of discipleship. It is a level of discipleship. When you sit in a classroom and you're being taught or you're studying the word together in a classroom, that is a form of discipleship. When you are in a small group with 15 people or something like that and, and you guys are, are encouraging one another and you're praying with one another and you're pointing one another to the Lord and you're growing together, that is a form of discipleship. I hope you hear me saying that. Because what I'm also trying to say is where churches tend to stop is there and they don't tend to go the next level, which we also see in the scriptures where there's a smaller, a smaller group involved and there's more intentionality. And so these messages that I've, I'm preaching uh, the last couple of weeks and then through next week is really about that type of relationship, the intentional type of relationship where it, it goes beyond just me and you getting together and we're gonna, we're gonna study together and we're gonna pray together and we're just gonna to grow together. Um, but the intentional relationship where I'm, in, I'm intentional in pursuing you as maybe someone who is older, that could be older in age, that could be older in the faith. To someone who is younger, that could be younger in age or younger in the faith. And I'm, I'm gonna invest in you what I have learned and how I have grown in following Christ in hopes that you're going to also follow Christ better. Right? There's an intentionality in doing that that goes beyond what we typically do in a church. And it's, it's a, an example that we saw with Jesus. We've looked at that the last two weeks where he calls some people to be his followers. And then he also, in calling them to follow, says you're also gonna fish now for people. The two go together. And then last week we saw that the way that Jesus makes his disciples should be the same way we make our disciples, right? The, the same way we go about doing it. And so we saw the type of access that Jesus gave to the people who literally followed him, walked around with them, spent time with him. And so I tried to show you, here's how Jesus did it. And for the next two weeks, I want to show you, here's how Paul does it. So that you know, hey, look, Jesus, I mean, sometimes we'll throw Jesus out as an example and we'll go, yeah, but that's Jesus. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, anything we, we, we use to compare to Jesus, it's hard for us sometimes to grasp that we can also follow that example because we go, but he's God, he's perfect. So today I want to show you a man who's not God, but a follower of Jesus, and his name is Paul. And if you know him, you know him as the Apostle Paul. You might know him as uh, one of the guys who wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament. How did he go about taking this, this command of Jesus, go therefore make disciples of all nations? How did he go about doing that? What was his model? And so this morning and then next week, that's what we're gonna look at. So here's where we're going this morning. Disciples are made by imitating other disciples who are following Jesus. 
Disciples are made by imitating other disciples who are following Jesus. And that word imitating is where we tend to not go as churches. It, it's, that, it's that level that we tend to stop before we get there because it's hard to imitate someone when they're on the stage in front of you for 45 minutes each week. It's hard to imitate someone when they're the teacher in your class and you only interact with them and that role as a teacher once a week. It's hard to imitate someone from a distance. Imitation requires being brought close. And so we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 here. We're going to read verses 10 through 17, and then we'll come back through and, and walk through them. So look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. This is Paul speaking to his young disciple, Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured these persecutions and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So 2 Timothy, you might remember, is Paul's last letter. It's the very last letter he wrote before he is going to be put to death. And he's writing it to, the, to one of the young men that he's invested his life in. Uh, one of the young men who traveled along with him on some of his missionary journeys. And these are Paul's last words to this young man, Timothy. Now young, most people believe Timothy was somewhere in his 30s or 40s. But that was considered to be a young man and still is. All right. And so young Timothy was, was receiving this letter from Paul in which Paul, knowing that he's a man with short time to live is passing on the final words. When someone passes on their final words because they know that they have a short time to live, you tune in because they're going to pick and choose what they say and they're going to be real, real careful and real intentional about what they say. And so with Timothy, Paul has been encouraging Timothy in this letter how to stay steadfast in the faith, how to not be sidetracked, how to not get distracted. In fact, if you were to back up and read a little bit uh, before where we started, you're gonna see that Paul's talking about people who've gotten distracted. People who have followed other types of teaching that pull them away from the gospel of Christ, that pull them away from the teaching that Paul had passed on to Timothy, and they have shipwrecked their lives. They have abandoned Paul. And so Paul has given those examples, and then he tells Timothy, but you, you be different. And he's going to tell Timothy, how do you stay focused? How do, you, how do you put safeguards in place? How do you protect from being led astray? How do you protect others from being led astray? And so this is where he's going to go this morning. And so we're going to look at it from two different angles. The first angle we're going to look at it from is the person who is investing in someone else, the person who's discipling another. And we're going to see this. We must be examples of following Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
and you're intentionally entering into a discipling, a discipling relationship, you must be an example of following Jesus. Here's how Paul says it. You, however, have followed my, and now he's gonna go through and list the things that, that Timothy has followed. And so Paul's gonna give his own example. These are the things you've seen in me. And he starts with, you have followed my teaching. So Timothy was someone who literally went around with Paul for, the, for, for many of his missionary journeys. He followed him around. He traveled with him. He spent time with Paul. He heard him teach. He heard him proclaiming the gospel to people of different backgrounds. He heard him uh, engage in conflict with people who were opposing him. He, he, he has seen Paul go through ups and go through downs. And even when he wasn't following Paul because Paul left him behind in another city to stay and put in place elders for the church, even then, Timothy stayed up to date with who Paul was, where he was going, what he was doing. So Paul says to Timothy, you followed my teaching. In other words, you know what I teach. You remember what I teach. You've heard what I teach. We have to be an example in what we teach. And it starts there because discipleship, in order for discipleship to take place, in order for a follower of Jesus to grow, you have to be taught. There's no way around that. In order for us to grow in Christ, we have to learn more about who God is. We have to learn more about who Jesus is, the things that Jesus taught, the thing that Paul teaches. I mean, we have to learn more about how God has revealed himself in these 66 books of the Bible that we have. We have to spend time getting to know what God has said about himself and what he said about others as his word has been preserved through these people who have, who have written the scriptures. We have to grow, and in order to grow, we have to be taught. You cannot get away from that. If you are discipling or you're being discipled, you must have some element of teaching. If it's not there, you're doing something, but it's not disciple-making. Right? You can get together and pray together for, for marriages and for parenting, and you can hold one another accountable in lifestyles, and that's a good and a necessary thing. It's appropriate, but it's not disciple-making if there's no teaching involved. It's accountability, it's encouraging one another, it's spurring one another on to love and good deeds, but it's not making disciples if there's no element of teaching. Discipleship is decisively centered around teaching of the word, the scripture. So Paul says, you followed my teaching. You have my example of what I taught. And, and, then, and so for us, as we are being examples of what we teach, we have to think about it on multiple levels. Are you a formal teacher in the sense that you teach a Sunday school class? You stand up here and you, you preach uh, or you're in a small group and you're, you're, you're leading discussions on sermon-based topics or other things. Are you teaching people? What are you teaching are you paying attention to what you're teaching? Are you pointing them to the gospel plus nothing else? Are you making sure that they understand salvation is through Christ plus nothing else? Are you making sure that's clear? Or are you tacking on other things? Well, that yes, we, we talk about the gospel as salvation through Christ, but you also got to do this. If you're tacking anything else on there, you're not being a good example of teaching from the scriptures. You're leading people astray. See, that's why James would say in James chapter three, let not many of you become teachers because those who teach will encourage stricter judgment. 
because I have, the, uh, I have the great responsibility every week. I'm responsible for what I teach you. I'm responsible for how I handle the scriptures. And as I'm studying and as I'm preparing, I'm responsible for how I communicate that to you. If it's pointing you to the Lord and it's true to what he's revealed, then that's a great thing. But I have the great risk because I talk a lot when I'm up here, right? And where there's a multitude of words, there's a multitude of sin. And I'm very aware of that. I get in front of you and I talk and I talk and I talk. And don't get me wrong, I like getting in front of you. I don't like talking, but I like getting in front of you and preaching the scriptures. But I'm aware that the more I talk, the more the the chance of me sinning in the way that I'm leading you comes out. It's just the nature of me being impacted and infected by sin still. So teaching is a great responsibility, which means when you're in a role where you're teaching someone, you've got to pay attention to what you're teaching, which means you've got to know what you're teaching. You can't show up unprepared. You, you can't come and just say, we're just gonna shoot from the hip and read a verse and talk about what it means to me. Nobody cares what it means to you. This is God's word. We need to know what it means to him. And then we need to be able to communicate that. But what happens in studies and in churches all across the world is people gather and they say, well, let's kick around the scripture and talk about what it means to me. Listen, I'm created. God is the creator. If I'm looking at his word, I should not be so concerned what it means to me. I need to know what it means to him. And then I respond accordingly. I've got to give that kind of attention to my teaching. So maybe you're in a formal, a formal role of teaching, but maybe you're not in a formal role of teaching. But guess what? If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you're a teacher. What are you teaching your kids about the gospel? What are you teaching your grandkids about following Christ? What are you saying to them? Are you communicating to them the gospel? Are you communicating to them that God doesn't need you to behave a perfectly or obediently in order for you to be accepted? Are you communicating to them that God loves them and he sent Christ to die for them? And Christ's obedience is what God accepts, not yours. Are you communicating that or are you using God's name to, to, to shape and mold your kids? You're taking, taking God's name and, and putting it on behavior modification techniques. Or is that what you're doing? Because we do that, right? Listen, I may not know what's going on in your room. I may not know what's going on in, in, in this house when I'm not around or when you're not here, but God knows. He does know, doesn't he? Absolutely. But if that's the only message the kids are getting from us is that God's watching you to, to see if you mess up and he's gonna catch you, is that the thing you're teaching them about God? Because there's so much more that, that God wants your kids to know about him that he has put you in their lives for you to teach them. How are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching them? Because if you're a parent, you have a responsibility to disciple your kids. In fact, you should start there. If you are not discipling your kids, you have no business discipling someone else. You've got to start there. What are we doing to be an example to our kids in how we teach or our grandkids or whoever you're entrusted to? Paul says, you have followed my teaching. But listen, that, that, that's not where Paul stops. You see, if Paul just stopped there, then we have a justification for maybe a lot of our church programs that just focus on, let's just get a group of people together and let's teach them. Let's teach them because knowledge is gonna change them. Knowledge is gonna change them. Listen, it's not just growing smarter that changes a person. 
It's not just knowing more about the scriptures that transforms a person. We've got to see the scriptures take root in a person's life and a person respond and obey and submit their lives to the scriptures. Remember, the Great Commission is not just make disciples of all nations and baptize them. It's teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. How do we teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded? That takes time. That takes intentionality over time. So Paul goes on and he says, you followed my way of life. Again, Timothy, you've, you've, you've been with me. You've seen how I live. You see how I treat people. You see how I talk to people. You see how I interact with people. You see the things I abstain from and you see the things that I enjoy. And then you see the situations in which some of those things might flip-flop for the sake of the gospel. You've seen the way I live, Paul, uh, Timothy. You've seen that I do. I, I try to do all things to the glory of God. You've seen that in this situation. You've seen that in that situation. Listen, a person cannot follow after an example of how you live your life if they don't get an opportunity to see you live your life. Kids, are, of course, are your great example, right? This is the, the humbling thing about being parents because they see it all, all of it. Even when you think they don't see it, they see it. And you know how you know, right? Is when they start talking like you and you're going, when did you hear that? Where, where did you pick up that behavior, right? You see it. By the way, it's not a specific example from this morning. It's a, it's a real life example, <laughs> okay, for everybody, all right? So you see these things because kids pick up on the way you live your life. Are you giving people access to your life so that they can see the way you live out what the scriptures teach? Are you giving people access to your life so that they know how does it look to, to love my wife as a husband who, who loves her as Christ loves the church? What does it look like to be a godly wife who responds to her husband? What does it look like to be a, a parent uh, that, that is trying to love the Lord and parent their kids when it's frustrating and they're talking back and they're, they're disobeying? How do I parent in that and still point them to the Lord? How do they see that? I mean, we can teach classes on it and we do. From time to time, we'll have a parenting class. From time to time, we'll have a marriage class. But listen, the way that you see that and learn that is I need to see that lived out. I need to see examples of that. And Paul says to Timothy, you've seen the way I lived my life. He goes on and he says, not only the way I live my life, but you have followed my purpose. You followed my purpose. Well, what was Paul's purpose? You don't have to guess because in Philippians 3.10, Paul says, my goal, my aim is that I might know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering that I might share in his resurrection that I might know Christ that was Paul's aim see right before that in Philippians Paul listed all these things he had done with his life before that point he had a list of accomplishments that most people would praise and he says yet all of that I count as as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul's purpose, the goal of his life, the thing that everything else lined up behind was that I might know Christ. What does it look like for a person whose life is shaped by, by knowing Christ? Everything else runs into that and, and is filtered through that grid. What does it look like? Not that I might know my Bible more, not that I might attend church more regularly, not that I might become the best husband or the best wife or the best dad or the best mom or the, the best student or the best kid, not, not any of those things. As good as they may be, none of them are worthy of being the purpose of your life. But that you might know Christ. 
and that you might know him and share in the power of his resurrection, the type of life that Christ gives, that you might, you might somehow obtain to that power. That's, that's Paul's goal. And he says, Timothy, you've followed me in my purpose. You've seen what it looks like to be a person who that's my aim. And I've, I've got to harp on this just a little bit longer because I think we miss this. And there's so many things, good things that distract us and we make them our goal. We make them our purpose in life. And none of those things are worthy enough to hold that top spot. Like I said, being a great husband, good thing, not the, not the top spot in your life. Being a great wife, being a great dad, mom, being a good student, being the best athlete, being the best employee or the best business, all those great things, do them to the glory of God. But none of those things are worthy to hold that top spot of your purpose in life. Your purpose as a person who has been created by God is first and foremost to bring your creator glory. And as a follower of Christ, our purpose is that I might know Christ because as I grow in knowing Christ, I bring God the most glory. And that's a pursuit that you will never complete. It's a goal that you will never accomplish in this life. It is a lifelong pursuit that you might know him, not know more about him. That's necessary, but not stopping there. Know more about him so that I might know him more. That's the purpose of our Bible study. That's the purpose of us uh, going to classes. That's the purpose of us digging into the scriptures through quiet time so that we might know more about who God is, how he's revealed himself, how he calls us to live, because in submitting our lives to that, we seek to know Christ more. And as I seek to know Christ more, those other things will start to fall into place. But we get distracted by good things. But all it takes is a good thing to consume the wrong place in our hearts. And it becomes an idol. An idol. He says, you followed my purpose. He says, you followed my faith. That is my, how, how Paul's deepening faith in Christ. Uh, Timothy was able to see that lived out, played out. He was able to see Paul wrestle with things. You might remember in one of Paul's letters, he was dealing with something. We don't know. He called it a thorn. It, it could have been a multitude of things, right? But he says, I, I'm, I'm praying that God would take this away. I'm suffering because of this and God won't take it away. Instead, God's response to me is my grace is sufficient for you. What does it look like to have a faith so deeply rooted in Christ that when God says, no, I'm not gonna take that element of suffering from you, you're able to see a person's faith shine forth in that moment. Not because that faith is somehow room for them to boast. No, that's God wrought faith, the fruit of the spirit growing in them. But you can't see that in a classroom. You can't see that from the stage. You've got to see that in life. And so Paul says, you followed that. You followed my patience, how he interacted with people who opposed him, uh, both people who he agreed with and people he disagreed with. Are you an example in how you relate to people you disagree with? That's the question we probably need to ask on that one. Am I, am I, am, is my life one where if someone were to follow the way I interact with people I disagree with, would it point them to Christ? Or would it point them more to me? You follow them in my love. Again, how do you love people you disagree with? It's 
Easy to love people you agree with. Easy to love people who are like you. But how do you love people that hurt you? How do you love people who oppose you? How do you love people who you disagree with? What does it look like for Christ's love to shine through you in that circumstance? You can't see that. You can't learn that. You can't be shaped by that unless you see it up close. My endurance, as Paul was facing opposition and persecutions and suffering for his, his following of Christ, he continued to stay the course. What does it look like to walk closely with someone who's facing criticism? I, I've shared many, many, many times, many different ways about the family that's most shaped me. And I got to walk so closely with them as I saw them criticized many times. I remember one example. I was at a church meeting. Now, we've, since I've been here, I can't speak beyond that, but I'm pretty sure I could, I could say it and be true. Since I've been here, though, we've not had a church meeting that got ugly. Right? I mean, there, I'm sure there, there's, there's been ugly side notes and things like that, but like a church gathering where the congregation gathers and we have a meeting, we've not had one like that. I sat in one once where someone in that meeting took it upon themselves to publicly start to critique and bash the pastor and his family in front of the entire congregation. Rip them to shreds publicly. And you know what? That's more common than you actually might realize. What does it look like to walk closely? Because I know what was welling up in me that, that day. I wanted to stand up and yell at some people. I wanted to stand up and tell them what they don't know. But I watched this man sit there and take it and take it and take it. And then when he opened his mouth to respond, it was certainly not what I would have said. What does it look like to walk closely and follow someone and model your life after them as they are following Christ and they are enduring even in the face of persecutions and sufferings? So Paul says, follow my example. If you're discipling someone, you have to have a life that is modeling following Christ. Now, for some of you, what's going through your mind right now is, okay, well, I'm not worthy to do that. Right. Good, start there, but move past there because we're all called to follow Christ. And if you're following Christ, you have things in your life that should be able to be modeled for someone else. Don't get so paralyzed by the, the sin that's in your life. Sometimes we get so focused on the sin that's in our hearts and in our minds that we fail to, to be the people that Christ is calling us to be. Instead of walking in the grace and the forgiveness that is purchased for us in Christ, we dwell on the sin. Yes, you're a sinner. You are impacted by sin. You're infected by sin. You will continue to struggle with sin till the day you die or Christ comes back. You will. That's a healthy realization. It keeps you close, keeps you humble to the cross. But you cannot stay there because the whole point in Christ dying was that he might free people from that, that they might, realizing that that was their condition, go and cling to the cross. You might not think that you, you are worthy to be followed. Now, that's important to keep in mind. You are not worthy to be followed, but you as you follow Christ. So that's the next thing. We imitate others who are following Christ. You wanna grow as a disciple? You've gotta imitate others who are following Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy there in verse 14, so after he's listed all these things you've seen me do, all these things you've followed me, continue in these things that you have learned. Continue to follow him. The example has been set for you. Continue to do this. 
You wanna be a person who resists being distracted. You wanna be a person who resists being led astray. You wanna be a person who remains steadfast. You've got to follow the example, Timothy, that's been set for you. And you need to remember who taught you because sometimes it's important to remember the character of the people who taught you. In Timothy's case, Paul's not just referring to himself. Because if you read 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of the faith that dwelled in your grandmother and in your mom and that now dwells in you. Timothy was a man shaped by his mother and his grandmother. His dad was in the picture, but he wasn't a believer in Christ. Ladies, moms, grandmothers, you have an influence in your kid's life, your grandkid's life that you must not neglect. You have more influence than you think you have and God will take that. He will take you and work through you and he will by his grace shape and mold your kid. You just be faithful. You just be faithful to the Lord in that. But don't think that because I don't have a man Absolutely, is it good to have a, a, a great dad and a great husband in the picture? Yes, but don't find yourself going, I need a man to do this for me and then you push aside the responsibility that the Lord is placing on you. You, by God's grace, can do that. And Paul tells Timothy, remember who taught you. Recall the things that you've seen in your mom and your grandmother. So follow their example, imitate them. And he goes on and he, he says, um, and then um, verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the holy writings, the scriptures. Today we call that the Bible. Disciple making is central, centralized on the scriptures. Timothy, remember your examples and remember the scriptures. The two gotta go together. You've gotta have someone to imitate who's following Christ and you've gotta have the scriptures. That's as simple as it is. It doesn't need a program. It doesn't need more structure than that. I mean, you can shape and fit that into any culture. Do you have people who are following Christ? They need to have people who are following them as they follow Christ. As they follow Christ and they're leaning on the word. You can fit that in any culture. Listen, if our discipleship programs are only effective in a certain culture, I've got to question whether or not they're truly effective. But the model that Christ left for us, the model that Paul followed, fits any culture. We've just got to figure out, how do I do it in this culture, in this setting, with this kind of schedule? How do I do that? We imitate others who are following Christ. And listen, here's some other places Paul has said the same kind of thing. 1 Corinthians, he says this, verse, chapter 4, verse 14. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to correct you as my dear children. For though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers because I became your father in Christ, which means he was the one that God used to bring him to Christ. You do not have many fathers because I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Look at verse 16. I encourage you then, be what? Imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my dear and faithful son in the Lord, which means again, Paul, by God's grace, was used to bring Timothy to Christ. He will do what? Remind you of my ways in Christ. Do you, do you see, Paul, Paul is, is, is saying, you've got to be imitators of me. I'm sending Timothy to be a reminder of my ways. Two generations there. 
Three, if you count the people that Timothy's leading. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 11, just in case you've gotten, gotten hung up on, but I'm not worthy to be imitated. You're right, you're not. Here's the model. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. The goal is I follow Christ and others who I'm discipling, they see me following Christ and they're shaped and influenced by that. I'm not trying to build, build followers for myself. Your goal in discipling someone is not to build yourself a, a group who, who surrounds you and builds you up. Your goal is not to have the, the most so that you can brag. The goal is you follow Christ. You bring someone else or some other people along as you follow Christ so that they see it and they grow and learn in following Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you drop the last part off, that's not disciple making according to the Bible. Look at Philippians chapter three, verse 17. Paul again, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us as an example. Do you see Paul was hanging everything on? I lived among you. I modeled for you. I taught you, and then I lived it. Remember the things I taught you. Remember how I lived among you. Follow that example. That's how Paul went about making disciples. One more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, and that our gospel did not come to you merely in words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Surely you recall the character we displayed when we came among you to help you, and you became what? Imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, despite great affliction, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Disciples are made by imitating other disciples who are following Jesus. That's what we wanna see more of. It's great that there's classes going on. It's great that there's small groups, community groups that, that have maybe 12, 15 people or something like that in them and you're gathering together. Maybe you're digging into the sermon topic or you're following another, another study of some kind. Those things are great, but we wanna see more disciples making disciples by bringing other people in closer so that they have access so that you can see what does it look like to follow Christ. And that kind of shaping and transformation only takes place in smaller dynamics, one-on-one -on -one or one to three, four, I'd say no more than five, because again, we're not Jesus, 12 might be too many for us, right? But some of you maybe, I mean, if your schedule allows, but you've gotta be willing to give access so that people can imitate you as you imitate Christ. That's where shaping takes place. That's where transformation takes place. That's how communities are changed and churches grow. I can't tell you the joy that comes with being able to, to interact with people on this level and they have opportunities to ask questions and you have opportunities to dig in together. And, and, and I wanna say something else too that was raised to me this week. I wanna clarify something. If you're a discipling person, you're, you're discipling someone else, you're older, whether that's age or in, faith, in the faith and you're discipling someone young, Younger, whether that's age or in the faith, it does not mean you don't learn. If you think you don't learn, you should probably stop discipling for a little while because that's not worthy of being imitated, right? You always learn. You, you don't have a corner on the market. You don't have more Holy Spirit than, than they do. You're learning, but you are further down the road in living this or in your study, and so you're investing in someone else what you have so that you can pass on to them what you have. But listen, 
in these kind of settings, there's interaction. And you grow and you're challenged because when questions get asked and someone maybe disagrees with an interpretation of what you have, you're forced to go and wrestle with that. That's good for you. So don't think that you've got to have all the answers for you. You just need to be a little bit further along and you need to come prepared. That's it. Disciples are made by imitating other disciples who are following Christ. I, I asked last week for those of you who were interested in entering into a discipling relationship where you were being discipled to let me know. And I had about five of you reach out. Thank you. I've got that. I think I've responded to most of you. I'm putting that on a list because we want to do something with that, right? I'm going to put that invitation out there again. If you are sitting through this and you're going, I really want to grow. And, and, and we think this is an avenue where you're going to grow more so than just sitting in a service once a week or sitting in a class. If you're saying, I want to grow. I want to, I want to be in some kind of smaller accountable relationships where we're studying the word together and we're growing together. If that's something you're interested in, will you email me or text me? Okay, don't, don't grab me after the service. I won't, I, I'm likely to get tagged by other people and I may or may not remember that, right? So don't count on that. Just email me like many of you have done and let me know and I'm gonna add your name to a list because as we go forward, we wanna do something with that. And on the flip side of that, if you're sitting here this morning going, you know what? I think I'd like to be more intentional about investing in others and, and being the person who is discipling someone else. Would you email me that? I had a couple email me this week and thank you, I got that and we're gonna do something with that. We're gonna, we wanna provide some training for some of you because I understand you, you, if you've not been through it, you have no clue what to do. And so we're gonna provide some training that at least helps lay some foundation. And then listen, you get started and the questions will come. You don't have to have all your questions answered right away. You get started, then you know what questions to ask. And then we will be available and we will be resources to you as you're encountering things. You, you can ask us those questions and we can walk through you with that. Or if you've been discipled and then now you're discipling someone else and that process is starting to replicate itself, guess what you have? The people who discipled you are the people you can go back to and say, how do I handle this situation? Or what would you answer to this? See, as we get more generations discipling one another, making disciples who make disciples, you have more avenues to go back to and say, okay, how did you handle this? So we want to see more of this happening and we want to, we want to provide uh, some training for you. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know. If you're interested in entering into a discipling relationship, let me know so that we can know what, what, how to proceed with that. All right? That's what we want to see from this series. And we're going to wrap this up next week, but that's what we're hoping to see is more of that because as that happens, listen, people can, can hear the gospel this way in more effective ways oftentimes. People can ask questions. People who you're impacting, I can't impact. Russ can't impact. Jeff can't impact. Joel can't impact the people that you have in your circles. And if you just lean on us, we can't do that. The gospel is more effective when each person who has received the gospel then takes that and then passes it on to someone else. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And I won't reach the people that you're in circles with. And so you've got to be equipped to do that. So Father, this morning, I don't know how it's hitting people. Some people might be skeptical this morning. I get that. This requires time. Maybe it's coming off as just another church program, just trying to do things differently. Maybe for others, something's stirring up where they're going, that's what I've been lacking. 
I don't have someone showing me in the scriptures how to study. I don't have someone showing me what it looks like to be a husband or a wife uh, or to be a father or a mother. I don't have someone helping me to grow in that. And so they're longing for that. God, I pray that you would start to form those relationships. Partner them with people who can, who can invest in them and disciple them so that they can grow as a follower of Christ and then in turn, God, then use them to then disciple others and let the gospel in El Reno and in and Hinton and in Calumet and in Minko and Union City and out in Yukon, the communities that, God, you're bringing here into this room, let the gospel then be spread through that exponentially because more people are investing in others and their lives are worthy of being imitated because they're following Christ. They're not perfect. But they're aware of their sin and they're aware of your great love and your great grace and they're living that out as best they know how in the power of the Spirit. And I pray that you would do more of that. And then God, use that to spark a, a, a flame that just turns into this fire in our communities. And it, it doesn't matter if it starts here, Lord. We just want to see you do it. And do it for your glory. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.